Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1288 of the Lothon Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and, of course, YouTube on the video side. And, always, really appreciate everyone coming on to check out the show. Today's episode is myself and Matthew Tynan, who covers the San Antonio Spurs at a high, high level, formerly at The Athletic, now at Substack. Matthew does a great job covering the team. He was my first call after the DeJounte Murray trade on the Spurs side. We've been circling each other for a while now. Finally got it done this week, so thank you for him. Thank you to him, I should say, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, one final plug here before I turn it over to myself and Matthew. Um, it's actually the third show of the week, really the fifth show of the week, if you count the weekend. But I've talked to Lockdown Wizards in recent days. I've talked to Glenn Willis earlier on, earlier on this week. And I did a solo show on Wednesday about Sharif Cooper and a trade rumor that was kind of out there at this point in time, as well as some roster reset stuff. All of that is still available on the podcast. And please, please, please listen, tell a friend, all that fun stuff, subscribe, etc. One programming note also after the intro on this podcast, if you were watching on the video side, there's actually no video on this episode. You'll hear the podcast on YouTube. You will be able to listen to it as always on that. And you'll sort of see the logo on top of it. But usually there's a video element to this podcast because of the technology where I am at the moment and where Matthew was, we went audio only on that podcast. So if you're on the audio side, no problem at all. Normal stuff as usual. If you're on the video side, you can still keep it here. Keep it locked on YouTube. You can see me right now, but uh, the actual audio with myself and Matthew is only audio on that feed. So keep that in mind as you're listening. There's nothing wrong with your TV screen or your computer screen. There's just no video on this particular episode. Okay, after the break to hear the intro music, we'll come back with myself and Matthew Tynan on DeJounte Murray and all things of that trade between the Hawks and the Spurs. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined now by a Spurs expert, someone who has chronicled DeJounte Murray for, uh, since he, I believe since he entered the league, even. Uh, Matthew Tynan is here. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, man. How are you doing today? I'm living the dream. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's late July. We were just talking, uh, the Spurs had a little bit of news today. The Hawks had a little bit of news uh, the last couple of days with uh, a little bit lower level with Sharif Cooper, but uh, it's been a little bit interesting. It's, it's supposed to be the dead period at this point. Uh, we're kind of in the dead period, and I feel like, it's kind of a good time to step back a little bit and talk about the Jonte Murray, but nothing's ever safe in the NBA. You might just have huge news in the next two hours. Who knows? Well, I know. And it's, you know, usually news at this point of the season is stuff like Sharif Cooper. Um, and then like, typically speaking, like news of a shooting coach leaving probably wouldn't make many waves, but you know, Chip England has a, has a very storied tenure with the Spurs. i uh, been there for 17 years and, with everything else going on around the Spurs, the teardown, the DeJounte Murray trade, Chip England leaving. <laughs> I think there are a lot of Spurs fans who are like abandoning all hope right now. But uh, yeah, so certainly, uh, certainly some interesting news this morning in, in Spurs world. Yeah, and honestly, you kind of get into it there. And I want to take a go, sort of go back to the beginning and kind of ask you almost why DeJounte Murray was available in the first place, because I think yeah. I, I have a pretty good idea about, you know, the rebuild that's going to happen in San Antonio, but, you know, not often is a guy who was, you know, 25 years old and just made an all-star team uh, on a good contract, just kind of readily available in trade on, on some level. So uh, what's going on there in terms of uh, why he was available and what was sort of the thought process on this first side? Yeah, I think that um, maybe a little bit more context 
uh, is probably necessary with the idea of him being available. Um, I think he was available for the right price. Um, I do not get the impression from talking to people from what uh, general manager Brian Wright said after the trade. Uh, I know they say things publicly, um, so you can take that at, at face value, but if you'd like. Um, but I don't think the Spurs were necessarily planning on trading DeJounte Murray. Like they weren't approaching the offseason like we're getting rid of him. We're going in we're going into the tank. Like this is the path that we're choosing. Um I think it was if you if you pay the right price, he might be available. And I think that was sort of the sentiment, uh not just during this offseason this summer, but uh, that was sort of a sentiment that was swirling around all the way back to the trade deadline. Um, you know, I, you and I have talked a little bit, but this surprised me. It didn't quite shock me because of sort of the the stuff that we just talked about here. Um, but the surprise to me came was like, I, I really wasn't sure he was going to get the kind of haul the Spurs wanted. You know, at the very beginning, Jake Fisher reported the Spurs were looking for a Drew Holiday type deal. Uh, which, for reference, was two uh, first-round picks and two first-round swaps. And I wasn't sure that the Spurs were going to be able to pull something like that off for DeJounte, but they did. And as we've seen in the NBA this summer, my goodness, teams are paying draft, paying up for players right now. So, um, gosh, after the Rudy Gobert trade, and, and I guess we'll see what happens with Donovan Mitchell, but, but four first-round picks – uh, doesn't even seem like a ton anymore in just like the span of a couple of weeks. But um, anyway, I, I, it wasn't necessarily that the Spurs were out shopping DeJounte, but given the current state of the roster, I know he's just 25, but he's two years away from a potential max deal. The Spurs are nowhere near ready to compete. DeJounte isn't, isn't um, I don't even want to say necessarily. It's no slight against him, but he's not like a number one superstar that you build around on your team and I think the Spurs were just looking at that two-year window and thinking like what can we get done in the next two years if our ultimate goal is winning championships not just being a playoff team year in and year out what can we do in the next two years to sufficiently build our roster to the point where we can lock down DeJounte Murray know that he's a number two option at most and still have, like, our future uh, franchise cornerstone in tow to pay later. And I think that was going to be a very tight, uh, difficult-to-operate-in window. And what they saw with four picks uh, coming, there are three picks and one swap coming their way, was just more flexibility, more versatility, the ability to take different paths to where they needed to go. And then, obviously, most importantly, the idea of being able to bring in top tier talent at the top of the draft. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you, it's sort of the same question in some respects, like what you thought about the return, because this was before the Gobert trade. And, you know, I, I did my best to kind of give it context on my show when it happened. This is a few weeks ago, of course, now, but 
you said it like three three first round picks and and a swap at 26 gallinari is just pure salary filler if anything you could yeah. say that that might have been a little bit of a negative salary because you're taking on basically just dead salary in that trade but the fact that they did that at that time when the market had not been set yet by gobert in fact gobert even went beyond it which is even crazier that, that's a huge package that they got for him but murray um you know going back and contextualizing it while he was an all-star this year and is really good, we're, we're talking about him as a player for sure, but this is not the kind of player that usually you would expect to get this kind of haul for. So to your point about like the Spurs, not necessarily trying to trade him. Uh, this is the kind of deal that you kind of have to do if you're San Antonio. And I'm not saying that the Hawks shouldn't have done it. We can go sort of get into that, but they right, paid, but... they paid full price. I mean, the Hawks got no discount here whatsoever. No, you're totally right. And I think that uh, that's how the Spurs viewed it. Like once that, and I, I, I tried to ask, um, uh, Brian Wright, like what the final, you know, uh, I guess the final uh, piece of the puzzle was that that pushed the trade through. Like, was there something that they pushed in at the last second that's like, okay, we have to do that, uh, that sort of changed the the perspective on everything? And he he didn't give me an answer, of course, <laughs> but um, but uh, I think you're right. I think the Spurs, and based on you know what they've said, based on some of the folks that I talked to, it was like. We, they had to take, like, if you if these guys are sitting back looking at four picks, three picks and a swap coming their way, they think to themselves, we have to take this on. Like, this is, this is a better opportunity than we ever could have imagined. Like, if you went back one year and said, next summer, a team will offer three picks, three first round picks, two of which are unprote- unprotected and an unprotected first round swap, <laughs> like, if you're a Spurs fan looking at that and thinking to yourself, DeJounte Murray's going to be worth that? Like, we're used, like you said, we're used to superstar players being connected to trades that involve four picks. Um, so this was a deal that, that the Spurs viewed as something they had to take. And it, it, if you, in retrospect, it basically set the market. Like, you know that Danny Ainge looked at the DeJounte trade and said, okay, uh, the Spurs got four picks for DeJounte Murray. Well, we're going to go get five for Rudy Gobert. Like, we're going to up the stakes here. And who knows what he's going to do. I mentioned Donovan Mitchell earlier. <laughs> who knows what he's trying to do with that. But you've seen a whole lot of reports on, like, six picks. So um, I think the DeJounte trade set a very high bar. And, uh, yeah, it's just continued forward as, as something the – uh, the Spurs in retrospect looked at and said, we just, we have to take this. This is too good of an opportunity. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. You haven't tried the puffs yet from Built Bar. You're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor right now. It's delicious. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you now to that new favorite. It's cookie dough chunk puffs. And they have a light, chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All of the joys of eating cookie dough without all the hassle of making it. Plus, it's actually healthy for you as well. Cookie dough chunk puffs only have 160 calories. And they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Built.com has all the stuff that you need to snag a box for yourself, for your family. It'll be a perfect treat for you. And if you find a, good, a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself if you want to do that as well. Like all Built Bars, the new puffs are healthy and tasty. And what's great about Built is that all the bars have collagen protein, which helps your body to absorb more efficiently. And they have a ton of health benefits as well. Eat something that tastes good, that is actually good for you as well. You're going to absolutely love the new cookie dough chunk puff, whether for a snack, for your workout, a late night treat, or a needed to grab a quick bite. Built is the perfect protein bar and it tastes better than a candy bar. 
Ditch the calories, the fat, and the sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar today. And when you do that, go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and get 15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. I want to get into Murray as a, as a player now, obviously, which is, I know you covered him very closely, which is why I'm asking you to come on the podcast. But um, you, you, we sort of talked around it, but just as a big picture thing before we drill down on both ends of the floor, um, it seems like the consensus around Murray now, if there is one, is that he's like kind of a, I don't, I'm not even sure what, how to describe it. Like he made the all-star team last year. I think he's not really viewed as an all-star in capital letters. You know, he was injury replacement, obviously had great numbers last year. I've kind of been hearing like top 40-ish players in, in the league kind of thing when asked people around the league what, what, what they think of him. Is that kind of what you think of Murray? Is that what, what sort of your overall read of how, just how effective he is? Because I think everyone agrees he's really good. It's just like, how good is he, I guess? Right. No, I think that's fair. Like top 30 to 40. I mean, I kind of look at him basically going forward as like, this is a fringe all-star. And at 25 years old, he'll be 26 when the season starts. Like, I I also believe that this guy has more to improve on in his game. Um, This was only his first year running the show. Like, there's a lot more that can be done. But at this juncture, like, yeah, I think that's fair. Like top 30 to 40 player in in the league. Um, and you kind of mentioned it a second ago, Scott, when you mentioned that the Spurs had to trade for him, but the Hawks also had to trade for him. Like, I think that's the kind of guy, especially when you look at what he offers, uh, the team, both offensively and offensively, the versatility he's going to, uh, provide in the backcourt, especially, uh, mixed in with Trey is super intriguing. And obviously, like where the Hawks are, you want to go in on a player like that to team up with Trey. Um, you have your superstar in tow. Like, bring in a guy that can be a number two option and will likely look a lot better and be more efficient as a number two option. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a perfectly appropriate range. And I think that just sort of in a vacuum in that role as a number two player, uh, I think it, it has a chance to be really successful. Yeah, I totally agree. And listen, the, the Hawks said not necessarily that, that it was going to be Murray available, but they were talking about this this player um, in a vacuum that was going to be a potential secondary to primary ball handler slash creator and also be able to defend at a high level on the perimeter. And he checks those boxes. They said that as much when right. they traded for him. And that I think really does inform the price they paid as well. Like they think that he is maybe not like a hundred percent perfect piece, but certainly about as clean of a fit as you could have with, with what they actually wanted to get in their next piece that they added. So uh, we'll get into offense in a second too, but I, I kind of want to start with the defense because number one, I love sure. defense. And uh, number two, this is a guy who made all, an all-defensive team in his career already. He, I believe, led the league in steals last year. Um, there are, I, I would say, differing opinions on just how good he has been the last year or two defensively, which is kind of why what I want to yeah, ask yeah. you about, because he has this reputation for being this awesome defender. I think he is good, but like, is there any notion that he's taking a step back at all? Is he taking a prominent role? Because that happens to a lot of guys when they have to be the number one option on offense. They're not quite as good on defense. So that's kind of something that I, I certainly don't know the exact answer to, like in his own head. And DeJounte would certainly never, ever admit <laughs> to anything like this. But like when you take on a role that big, putting forth as much effort into navigating screens, pushing around screens, under, over, whatever, uh, you know, being a primary defender of number one primary ball handlers I mean there are a lot of responsibilities on the defensive end that he had in the years prior to becoming the Spurs number one option it it's a lot to ask these guys 
to exert that same amount of energy, have that same amount of responsibility on both ends of the floor. I mean, like the Spurs saw it with Kawhi as his as his career progressed. Like he started out his first and foremost, it was defense. He was he wreaked havoc on that end of the court. But once he became like the primary offensive threat in San Antonio, he didn't have quite as much responsibility on the defensive end. I just think it's sort of the natural evolution of things. Um, and and I, it's going to be interesting to watch now that his offensive responsibilities have changed, how it's going to impact him on the defensive end. I think he left some on the court uh, on the defensive side of the ball this year. And I don't think that's just gone. <laughs> I don't think that when we're talking about like a 25 year old here that um, the defensive side of the ball, even though I, there was definitely some slippage um, at least from just a straight up defensive perspective, not necessarily from a deflection steals uh, perspective. He was all over the court in that capacity. Um, So I think that you'll likely see a difference, especially when they're bringing him in partially because of that defensive ability, because of what they're going to expect him to do to sort of take some pressure off Trey, not sort of take pressure off Trey, <laughs> take a lot of pressure off Trey in the backcourt. So, you know, I'm not too worried about the last year or so uh, from him defensively. I think um, it's just kind of par for the course when you talk about that type of jump, that type of spike in usage percentage on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but at the very least, you know that this is a guy who's going to be pushing the league lead in steals as he did this past season. Uh, he's all over the court. Um, <laughs> it should it should really matter uh, for that that Atlanta backcourt. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, it is different, as you well know, but you know, people always look at the steal numbers and obviously they're there for him and kind of can't reconcile the fact that he may not have been quite as good defensively because of the steal numbers. Right. And- you could do both those things at the same time, but also it could be a little bit different. And I think that is probably his going to be his primary appeal. You can correct me too about like his ball hawking nature in the backcourt. Something the Hawks just haven't had a lot of at all, even beyond the guard line. They haven't really out like even their wings are not really ball hawks in recent days. And he'll definitely do that. I do want to ask you though, like, you know, he's, he has good size for a point guard, but he's not the biggest guy in the world if he's playing the two a lot, right. which is what he's going to be doing now. Um, he'll obviously play some point guard when Trey's off the floor, et cetera. But what do you make of him as like someone who's going to be probably tasked with guarding some wings as well? Because there'll be some times when Trey kind of has to guard the point guard because there's nowhere else to put him. It, how does how does Jante fare against uh, bigger guys in that way? Yeah, you know, he wasn't he wasn't tasked with defending many bigger players while he was in San Antonio, at least from like a physical weight perspective um but you know for as skinny as he is he's a really strong guy um I'm not totally worried about him being put on bigger wings if it's if it's not every other play you know what I mean um if if they're able to primarily keep him in the backcourt uh you know guys with size shouldn't be that much of a problem unless they're just like these physical beasts that are going to sort of blow right through him uh because he does. I, I brought up his uh, struggles against screens earlier. Um, he does struggle with size. Like when big, when when someone sticks him with a big body, uh, he tends to get hung up a little bit. So I don't think you're ideally going to want to see him spending a bunch of time on wings. But it's one of those things where he's perfectly capable 
of filling in a few stretches where he's defending taller players, you know, slightly bigger players. Like, that shouldn't be too much of a problem as long as it's in smaller stretches. He's very versatile. I mean, he can cover, you know, or guard one through three. You just you just would rather him be in that one and two category more often than not. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think that for the most part, they're going to have him do that, you know, this is not breaking ground, but Trey Young has to be hidden almost at all times defensively. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and they know that. And I think that a lot of times that ends up with Trey guarding uh, a kind of catch and shoot wing player more often than not right. on most teams, which, and that, and that, and that's perfect because that way you can put Murray, Murray at, the point, at the point of attack, kind of have to kind of have DeAndre Hunter as your number one wing defender and kind of have Trey guard, whoever, whoever's left over. I just think that along the way, they will probably have a situation where a team may have a primary that's a, that's like, you know, a bigger wing player and you kind of have to have Trey guard the point guard and like, okay, where does Murray go then? And it's not a problem. It's just something I was at least curious about your thoughts on because of the fact that he is again, great size as a point guard, but now that he's gonna be playing probably 20 minutes a night at the two, it's a little bit different. Well, and isn't that something like when you look at the Hawks roster and you have these expectations going forward for DeAndre Hunter, like, he seems like the guy the Hawks should want to be covering the wing options, if, if I'm yeah. not mistaken in that capacity. So, like, if, if you're talking about uh, DeJounte's defensive responsibilities, like, my guess it would end up being, like, a secondary wing guy. But um, if, if you're talking about defending wings, I can't really imagine that they're going to, like you said, uh, they're – probably going to want to keep him away from the bigger wings as much as they can. But, you know, if he has to fill in for a, a few plays here and there, a stretch or two here and there, he'll hold his own for a little bit. You just don't want it to be – you just don't want it to be long-term. Uh, it, it probably wouldn't work out too well if you're if he's out there defending wings for, you know, whatever, 15 minutes a night. That makes total sense. Um, the last thing I want to make sure I ask you about defense is, is actually is rebounding because for yeah. a, for a, for a guy who has been playing a lot of point guard, his numbers are fantastic as a rebounder, um, both in the raw per game stats and also his percentages. Um, the Hawks have obviously had this great rebounder in Clint Capella as their anchor, but aside from that, they've had some concerns. Like Hunter is not a great rebounder. Obviously, Trey doesn't want really to give you much there. Uh, I think that's going to be a big plus for them to have Murray do that. Is that a legitimate, like, does he, does, does he sort of take pride in his rebounding? Because it seems like for a guy who, you know, six three six four to be able to rebound like this for three or four years straight, it seems like it has to be real on some level. Oh, it's very real. Uh, you'll, you'll see it quickly. He, he is uh, adamant about attacking the glass, uh, especially defensively. This isn't a guy that's going to be crashing the glass on the, on the offensive end very often, but Man, he attacks rebounds on the defensive end. Uh, I don't know where the Spurs would have been in the rebounding category had it not been for him because largely they just weren't a very good defensive rebounding team the last few years. Um, you know, Yaga Pirtle has kind of been on an island for a while, but he's not some, you know, massive spectacular rebounder. Uh, when you watch DeJounte, you'll just see – him flying in from the wings, uh, from the baseline, from the free throw line. Like he goes up and attacks the glass. It is not an accident that his numbers are so good. And like you mentioned, it's not just the raw numbers, it's the efficiency. Um, it's the, you know, if you look at like basketballindex.com, like his contested rebound rates are super high. Uh, he's just a very efficient rebounder. He's, 
very smart rebounder, reads angles incredibly well. And what that allows him to do is go up, get the ball, and take off. Um, you know, he, he's, he's become very good at, at, at basically grabbing and going. Um, so it'll, it should be a, a boon for the, for the Hawks uh, defense, and then turning it right into offense should be no problem at all. This is sort of a bridge to his offense on some level, but um, I, I want to ask you also about his like his durability because he missed the one full season. He he tore his ACL. Um, I guess was it before the season or at the beginning of the season? I can't remember. Preseason. Preseason. Yeah, it was preseason. Uh, yeah, I know. I know he missed the whole year, but other than that, like you know, he played eighty-one games the year before that, and the, in the last three years, he has been pretty durable. Like even last year, he played sixty-eight games, but the year before, two years before that, he was playing you know ninety percent of the team's games. Um, that's a, something that's also very valuable for this Hawks team that's kind of lost some depth. Um, it seems like all is well with the knee. Are there any injury things or any like any, any body things that you that are of, of concern that are more like insidery that I, that I've not heard about? I tried to do a little bit of a search on this, but I couldn't really find anything that was any, anything concerning to me beyond just the fact that he did tear his ACL. But that's that's four years ago now. No man, he's been really durable. You know, outside of the random stuff that you see with any NBA player, uh, Dejounte Murray has been a very durable guy, and the and one of the only reasons. He only played 68 games last year is because toward the end of the season, he got really sick and like lost 10 pounds. I mean, this is like in the final weeks of the season as the Spurs were ramping up toward the play in. And I can't remember exactly how many games it was he missed. It was like six or seven games that he missed late in the season because he got really sick. Um, so other than that, like this has been a really, really durable player ever since he tore his ACL uh, in the preseason of his second year. So no concerns there, nothing on the inside that would uh, trigger an alarm or anything like that. He's been nothing but uh, available for the Spurs for the most part, uh, definitely dependable, which yeah. is which I think is a really important thing because you know that there are going to be stretches this year where Trey has to take a break or Trey gets injured, and it's really not that big of a drop-off to be able to stick someone like DeJounte Murray in there to run the show if something like that happens. So, you know, I know you're getting into the offensive side of things, but I do believe that his durability and availability is going to be a – uh, certainly going to be a big plus unless things go badly for him. But I don't see like, you're asking for evidence. I don't really see any evidence of it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I asked you is because, you know, Trey's also pretty durable in his own right. But the fact that they yeah. probably did not invest in a, you know, their third point guard right now is Aaron Holiday, who I kind of like, but he's more of a, you know, placeholder, like not, not, not a guy's going to like run your offense. I think they're going to, at least right. by the, ro at least by the roster, it seems like, and for my mind, they should do this. They, they're going to probably stagger those guys and try to have one of them on the floor at all times. And that's what I would do for sure between Trey and DeJounte. But um, obviously it helps to be able to do that and have that be your plan if you can kind of rely on those guys to be healthy. And it seems like that's going to be a realistic hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that um, as we get into the offense, one of the one of the things, of course, like big picture – I'm not even going to call it a concern, but maybe a question is like how these guys fit together. And I think, you know, especially because DeJounte just had his, by far his highest usage season. He averaged nine assists a game. He, he was kind of everything for that Spurs offense, which I'm going to let you talk about. But um, 
you know, the fact that he's not this great shooter, Trey's this super on-ball player. Um, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've heard some of this stuff, maybe even talked about some of this stuff with other people. What what was your initial thought when you kind of maybe considered how that might work, knowing how DeJounte plays and how Trey is clearly like a, a sort of mostly an on-ball player and how that might fit together? Yeah, I mean, my, my first thought was, uh, uh, this is a little bit weird. I mean, I get it. I, I get the reasons why you would do this, but uh, this is really going to be be a wait and see sort of thing. Um, like you, you, you brought up the fact, like Dejounte Murray is not a great shooter. He's a little bit below average um, from the perimeter. I think that that can increase. He has slowly become a better three point shooter, and I believe that he, if he is in a role where he's able to spot up a little bit more, that he might be able to push that sort of league average, which which would be great. Um, the fit is a little bit strange, but I will say this. Like, prior to this season, DeJounte Murray has spent the majority of his career as a second, third, fourth banana on the offense. Like, this isn't a guy who doesn't know how to play off of the ball. Um, his He's not going to be like your traditional movement shooter. He's not going to be a spot-up guy. Like, in this role, I think where it, he's going to be most effective is like as a secondary ball handler. Like we know how much attention Trey Young gets, and that's only going to do wonders for Dejounte Murray, who, when he's not the focal point of an offense, is a, a very capable and efficient offensive player. Where he gets in trouble is when all the attention is on him. Um, but in this case, it's not going to be. I think that there's. It's going to be interesting to see how much they actually use him on the ball, to see how much Trey acclimates to being off of the ball. Because sort of when you when you picture this in your head, you obviously don't want to take the threat of Trey pulling up on the ball away from your offense because that is where he is so dangerous, and that's uh, what makes him so special. You certainly don't want to get rid of that element of the game, but you wonder how much they're going to try to – insert more off-ball stuff for Trey, get him moving away from the ball a little bit more, coming off screens as a movement shooter, like whatever it might be, and and let DeJounte uh, sort of set up the, the offense, so to speak. I think that there's probably going to be mixing in here and there, but when Trey has the ball, and again, he's going to be the highest usage player on this team. There's no question about that. I'm not too worried about uh, DeJounte being off the ball and creating uh, his own mismatches, getting into sort of secondary pick and roll stuff um, from from either wing. I think that's going to be valuable and just in general going to take a lot of the pressure off Trey and honestly just probably make things easier because having that that second threat is a, of a, that second playmaking threat on the offense is it should be a big deal for uh, for the Hawks going forward. I totally agree. And I think that I'd say this before, so it's not necessarily new for people listening, but it's, it's a situation where they both have to give a little bit back, you know, Trey especially has not had to, or at least had anybody that was good enough to push him off the ball is kind of the bigger way that I would put it because look, he he had some high school stuff. He had some even early college stuff where he was able to do that. He's comfortable doing it and he's a great shooter, but no one that he's played with is near the level of Murray as an on-ball player. So I think that might help him to be willing to do it. 
And then I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I'm going to ask you about Murray's early career because he wasn't the guy until recently. Um, and I think that obviously the the counting stats came when he was on, when he was on the ball a lot this uh, right. year year or two. But he's got to know somewhere deep down he's not going to be the guy on this team. Uh, so that's you would think. I mean, maybe I'll ask you about his uh, sort of the way his makeup works. But uh, you know, hearing him at the, at the press conference, I think he's these guys know uh, for at least for the most part that it's it's still Trey's team. Uh, he'll be he'll be the number two. We'll see how that all works. But I am fascinated to see how it looks, especially early on. I'm sure it might take some time. You might see some your turn, my turn kind of stuff early sure. in the season uh, just to get it comfortable because uh, eventually they're going to have to figure out something out. And uh, I don't say this with any malice, but Nate McMillan, not the most uh, dynamic offensive coach necessarily. <laughs> so it uh, should be interesting to see how they uh, fuse, that, fuse those guys together. Well, DeJounte is not going to come in and upset the apple cart, like so to speak. Um, there is no question in my mind that like, DeJounte and you heard him say this over and over when asked about this stuff is like we're hoopers we're gonna make it work like and and I totally believe him when he's saying that like this is a guy who just wants to win uh he's which which is which is one of the reasons I think the Spurs were uh, you know open to trading him because he wants to win so badly that they've feel like it was possible they'd lose him in two years. But I digress. Uh, I, I just don't think – I don't foresee there being an issue with DeJounte coming in and asserting, asserting himself too much. Like, I think he's going to come in and play his role. Uh, when he has the opportunities, he's going to take advantage. But at least in the short term, like, I really don't foresee there being a problem – letting Trey sort of adapt to this different player in the backcourt, but they're going to have to adapt to each other. I think that um, as we both brought up, like there is something at least that you can fall back on with DeJounte Murray that shows you like this guy has played off the ball before he's done so efficiently. He knows how to do it. He knows how to pick his spots. He knows that he also can bring it more on the defensive end to get involved. Um, so I just think that this is going to be a shift in responsibilities that, quite frankly, DeJounte Murray is used to. He's seen it before. He's experienced it before. So I don't think outside of the normal learning curve when it comes to being on a new team and playing with new players, like outside of the normal stuff, I don't think there's anything there's going to be anything like problematic uh, when it comes to the relationship with these two. At least for now, it's the NBA. <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, no, I, I think that the Hawks are getting a player who's uh, dedicated to winning and, and basically doing what is expected of him as a player and a teammate and blah, blah, blah. DeJounte Murray is not going to, like, put himself in front of everybody else on the team. Makes total sense to me. And, and, and I think there also will be, especially provided they do this, and I think they're, I think they're, they're, they're probably going to, uh, if they stagger them a little bit, uh, Murray should yeah. still have – 10, 15 minutes a game where he's the guy. And that might give him some familiarity too with, with the role he was just playing. And he'll be able to kind of run, pick and roll and do the things that he's more traditionally doing from last year, et cetera. So that'll be interesting. Sure. I, I want to ask you two quick, two sort of uh, more nuanced, the uh, offensive things. Um, his passing really took a leap. It seemed like the last year or two, especially assist rate kind of went sky high. Um, what do you make of his passing? Obviously he racked up nine, nine assists again. I think it was last year. That's a, that's a number you can't fake. Um, but is he that kind of passer? Is he a dynamic, you know, a level passer or is that more a product of him just having the ball so much? So, uh, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, 
as like sure. an insult to Murray or anything like that. But you ask about like being a dynamic passer. I don't view DeJounte as being a super versatile passer, like A plus passer. He he got very good in his role and in the system in San Antonio. He he gained a ton of familiarity with it. He knew where everybody was, especially when it came to his pick and roll partners. Uh, and like credit to him, he sort of methodically and intentionally has built up his game in that structure. Um, he's not a major freelancer type of guard. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, keep the, the Steve Nash baseline dribble going like, you know, with the ball on a string, he's not going to do the Chris Paul stuff or even the Trey Young stuff. Like he is at least during his, his first tenure. And this is, this kind of tends to be the case with Spurs players uh, just because of the system that's in place. But a, a lot of, a lot of what he did came from uh, the general Spurs approach on the court. Uh, he became a very good passer. Uh, he became within the offense. He knew where his spots were. He knew where his teammates were, and he became very good at getting them the ball. But in terms of like the creativity, um, making sort of the out of nowhere pass, uh, whipping it across the court, driving, like kicking it out to a lifting player or, or whatever it may be, uh, there wasn't a ton of creativity in that capacity. So like this isn't, this isn't a Chris Paul or even a Trey Young in a lot of these situations who has a bunch of creativity in his game. Um, he's a lot more uh, systematic and methodical, um, which honestly is really good for your team's floor and for the baseline. Right. Like he's, he he uh, is going to provide a high floor for you at the very least. He's going to uh, run an efficient offense. He doesn't turn the ball over, which is a huge part of his game that goes underrated. His his assist to turnover ratio, uh, I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, forgive me, but it's crazy. Like he had several stretches during the year where he went multiple games without turning the ball over one time. So um, he's, a, he's a, a good passer, not a wizard with the ball, but he is very safe. Uh, he makes smart passes. Whenever he turns the ball over, it's super uncharacteristic. <laughs> you kind of look up and go, what was that? Um, which is, is a sort of a wonderful thing to see in today's NBA. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's just a, a very smart, methodical, uh, systematic type of point guard who has the physical attributes that allow him to create space, to shoot over people, to get to the rim, um in that capacity so yeah and once he once he becomes familiar with what the hawks are doing he's gonna fit right into that mold and and do what is expected of him basically i'm glad you referenced the turnover thing because it's something i noticed as well how low his numbers were on turnovers and david millen is gonna love that you know the hawks were number one <laughs> in the league last year in turnover rate like they never turned the ball over uh that's one of their characteristics yeah, so he'll fit in very well with that um you use the term systematic it kind of Points me to my last, I think my last question, we'll see, uh, about his shot profile. Like, he takes a lot of, I'm not even going to call them mid-rangers, but non, non-rim two-point attempts. Basically, the stuff that's between, like, four feet and 20 feet. And he's been pretty good on those shots, but I was wondering if that was more of a product in your mind of San Antonio being San Antonio, or if that's just where he's kind of comfortable a lot of the time on offense. No, I mean, I think that's just kind of a product of where he's comfortable. I mean, 
the Spurs would rather these guys get to the rim. Uh, DeJounte, and, and, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's not, like, super athletic. He's not a – he doesn't have a ton of vertical pop or anything like that. Um, he's slight, so he gets kind of pushed around once he gets closer to the rim, and I think at times during his career – and this changed, this changed a little bit this past season and as he's gotten stronger. Um, but he's sort of shied away from contact around the rim. But, no, I mean, honestly, like going back to his rookie year, uh, his comfort zone has been sort of from, like if you, put a, if you stretched a cone out from the, uh, from the basket, it would extend out to about 20 feet uh, from basically the angle block from block to block extended. Um, he, he loves the mid-range area. He loves the elbow areas, uh, crossing over, pulling up. Uh, he has a little, it, once he drives into the paint, he spins over his right shoulder and has a little like leaning fall away, uh, kind of one-handed floater type thing that he loves. So it's not necessarily a product of the system. It's just more a product of what he's good at and where he's comfortable. And he's been incredibly consistent in that range throughout the course of his career. So while those aren't obviously like the, the ideal shots to take from a, from an efficiency standpoint, he hits them. So, you know, as long as he's hitting them in that, in that 45 plus percentage range, you're, you're going to be okay with it. If he, Somehow is and his range has extended. By the way, it used to not be twenty feet. It used to be like fifteen feet, no more than that, like fifteen, sixteen feet. So, like slowly, his range has improved. Um, if he ever develops a pull-up three-point, uh, a three-point shot, it will be a, a game changer for him. Um, that would be sort of at this point of his career, like there's not going to be anything earth shattering in terms of development, but if that's something that he could hit at like a league average rate and he has a quite a ways to get, to get that far, I think on pull up threes, he was like 30%. So it's not great. Um, but if that's an element that he's able to introduce into his game, especially considering like he has a pull up 18 footer, uh, if he's able to extend that out a little bit, um, it, it's going to be a, a, really a game changer for him uh especially like for a guy who isn't a super shot creator he depends a lot on pick and rolls um depends on a little space for him to be able to get his shot off like that stuff would work wonders we'll see if it happens i don't think he's in his prime yet i think he still has some developing to do and i believe he will uh but i guess time will tell yeah, and to back you up even more on that, you know, I was looking at cleaning the glass numbers, preparing for this and after the trade and all that stuff. And, you know, he's in the 80-something percentile in percentage of shots in mid-range, but he, he does shoot them well, as you said, like yeah, in, in the mid-40s, which is, that may not sound fantastic, but if you can make those shots in the mid-40s, that's pretty efficient for that shot yep. profile. And also to add to that, like with McMillan as the, as the coach the last year plus, the Hawks have leaned much further into the mid-range um, especially with certain guys, uh, Trey Young being one of them, like Madonovich being another one, they, they've shown the willingness to let guys cook in that range when they are capable of doing so, which I think Murray right. obviously is. So that should that should fit pretty well. Um, well, it kind of goes. It kind of goes. It kind of goes back to like the days of like the Lamarcus Aldridge stuff. Like, is this guy really good? All he does is hit mid-range shots. It's like, well, he's hitting forty-six percent of them. Like, you'll take that. <laughs> like yeah. the guys who can hit the mid-range shots, shoot them. 
Um, it's not the idea in a vacuum. It's not the ideal shot, but like you said, if you're hitting in the mid forties, uh, from mid range, that's a good shot that flatly, that's a good shot. Especially if you have offensive rebounding and the Hawks do have that with Capella, et cetera. Yes. So yeah, it's, that should be very helpful. Um, I think that's all I, I, I need to get, I don't need to get you out of here for sure. Uh, but thank you for giving me all this time. Uh, if there's anything you felt like that was uh, necessary to add to the conversation that you were holding in the chamber, pl- please feel free to share that. But if not, if not, please share where they, people can find your work, because I know you cover a different team, but there are some Hawks fans. I'm sure they'd be interested in this first. Sure, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, on Substack these days. So my uh, newsletter is matthewtynan.substack.com, the uh, corporate knowledge newsletter. And yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. I know we've been trying to work this in <laughs> for a while now, so I'm, I'm glad we, uh, I'm glad we finally got it done. I think that it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch in Atlanta because it doesn't really seem like a perfect fit on paper, but when you consider what the Hawks were looking for in this, uh, it, the type of player that the Hawks were looking for this offseason, like, they nailed it with DeJounte. Um, and I don't think this is in any situation going to be, uh, or under any circumstances, like a situation people are just going to be flatly disappointed in. He's a hell of a player. Uh, like, we kind of went back to uh, fringe all-star, I guess, if you want to call him that, with a little bit of room to grow. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, from a Spurs perspective, Fans are going to be watching to see how he does, especially in a year that's going to be a, another down one in San Antonio. So I guarantee you, people are going to be people are going to be watching the Hawks. And if Dejounte Murray explodes, there's going to be a whole lot of angry Spurs fans. So that'll be a whole <laughs> lot of fun to deal with. Yeah, maybe uh, I'll pick up some Spurs listeners to the podcast after uh, after <laughs> you join me on the show. People might be uh, following Dejounte's career um, from. That's far right, far man. Far. Uh, no, thank you for doing this. I, uh, like you said, we talked back and forth and uh, we have schedules that were not, not always uh, lining up, but I appreciate your willingness and flexibility to come on and jump on this podcast. I am in the middle of nowhere in your state of Texas right now. Actually, I know. Right now. So uh, yeah. we're, we finally, we finally got this, got this connected, but I appreciate it. People should be following uh, your work. Definitely. I recommend you were my first call. I said it to you. I'll say it again on the podcast for Spurs stuff. So uh, thank you for joining me, my friend. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, check out Matthew's work, and we'll see you all next time.